came a long way. That's what the song said. And I could do all things. I could do all things. Yeah, I could do all things. Yeah, yeah. We came a long way. That's what the song said. And I could do all Hey, what's up? What's going on? And welcome to the Be Real Podcast, where we keep it real on social issues, history, news, faith, and everything in between. It's your one-stop podcast with thought-provoking talk and real content. Now, it's time to get real with your host, Brandon Mosley. You know I'm going to tell you. Swag it out. I can do all things. I can do all things. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what the songs say. I can do all things. I can do all things. Yeah, yeah. That's what the songs say. I can do all things. Yeah, yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome once again. Thank you, thank you for tuning in to another Be World podcast. This is your host, Brandon Mosley. Thank you once again. And also, if you are still listening, you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you go ahead and give me a five star on any uh, format that you're listening to the podcast on, especially if you're listening to my podcast through Apple Podcasts. That would be amazing. It will help other people find the podcast as well. But with that being said, we have an amazing episode um, concerning immigration, and we have a great guest that I will tell you guys more about um, in a few moments. But the reason why I wanted to go back into immigration is because I want to look at the current policies and possibly where we're going and where we're headed um, if we, with our new president, um, our president-elect Joe Biden. Um, So with that being said, when I think of immigration, um, I told you guys this before. The first person I think of is my grandfather. Um, he is and or was um, amazing inspiration in my life, and still still to this day is um, because of the hard work I know that he put into um, to chase after that American dream. You know, and um, when I, I I think about him leaving a country with nothing and coming here with with just a dream, right? And I think that's um, many immigrants today, and and some of them, unlike him, are leaving under threat of their lives, right? Um, and the policy, immigration policy, um, we haven't seen much positive change in the last few years, and that's the part of the reason why we want to talk about it today. But um, quick story about my grandfather. So my grandfather... Um, stayed with us when I was younger for a while. So in about eighth grade, I got in a little bit of trouble. I was a class clown a little bit, all right? So I, I get a phone call home, and um, the teacher told me, hey, I called home, and I spoke to, uh, sounds like an elderly man with an accent. All I could think was like, thank God. She didn't get a hold of my mom or dad, so I'm, I'm going to be all right. So I get home. You know, my grandfather's in the kitchen, um, I don't know, making something. I don't know, he used to mess with the pots and pans and didn't come up with much, though, sometimes. And um, I said, hey, gee, Pops, anybody call call home? And he said, no, boy, I don't remember no one call home. No one called here. I said, all right, cool. Keep that same attitude. Keep that same vibe. Um, so he didn't remember, um, or he didn't care. He probably just answered the phone, just like, yeah, whatever. Right. Um, and I was, man, 
I'm look, looking up to you, G-Pops. Appreciate that one, man. You have a solid one for that one. Because um, I don't, only God knows what moms and pops would have did with that phone call from home. But they never knew, thanks to G-Pops. He's a real, he was a real one, y'all. A real one. So this episode, once again, dedicated to our my favorite Bahamian man in the whole wide world that ever lived. Uh, my grandfather, uh, Norris Smith. Our guest, Tamia Watson, is an immigration attorney at Watson Immigration Law in Seattle, Washington, where she focuses her practice on business immigration law filing visas such as H-1Bs. She's an author, a blogger, podcaster, activist, and a passionate advocate for immigration reform. She has a new book, Legal Heroes in the Trump Era, Be Inspired, Expand Your Impact, Change the World. It just released October 2nd, and she's also a mother of two children. So she's an amazing person, a hero within uh, her own community, and I think globally as well. She's also immigrant herself from London, and you can tell from her accent, she's a very intelligent, very sharp. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this interview. Hey, welcome guys to our to another Zoom um, interview in our in our Zoom lifestyle that we're in today. But we have an amazing guest, um, Tamina Watson, an amazing attorney, and just just we're just happy to have you here, Tamina. The first question I have for you is: I know that you have a book out, um, "Legal Heroes in the Trump Era." Could you kind of talk to us a little bit about what that book is about and what inspired you to write that book? Brandon, thank you so much, first of all, for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. And thank you for asking about the book. The book was just released last week, and it's called, as you said, Legal Heroes in the Trump Era. Be inspired, expand your impact, change the world. I was inspired to write it um, uh, it came actually because of a podcast series I was doing. So I have a podcast called Tamina Talks Immigration. I've had it for uh, uh, almost five years. Uh, and I thought, you know, in the Zoom lifestyle that you just mentioned this summer, I thought I'd do a podcast series because I can now do it from home. I don't have to go to a studio and feel like I need to get my guests there. And as I was recording my interviews with other lawyers, I have 13 lawyers in the series, I realized that all of these lawyers are so inspirational that those stories need to be in one spot so they're not scattered around in different places. And so uh, that's how the, the notion of the book was born. And then it was a sprint from there to get the book in order and to make sure it's all written out. And, you know, there's a lot of work that goes in the book, which, you know, initially I thought, yeah, I'm going to write a book. And then I thought, oh, gosh, what have I done? But it also allowed me to share my own story of what um, I have been doing over the last three and a half years as well under this administration's policies on immigration and it, you know it's been it's been a, an exhausting few years particularly on immigration of course every single civil right is affected and and the book doesn't only cover immigration and while my story is immigration, some of the other lawyers' stories are immigration, but there are stories of lawyers who have fought civil rights issues, um, Black Lives Matter, you know, protests, um, uh, climate change, 
um, you know, all sorts of things. And the idea is that people will be inspired to take action, particularly between now and November. The election is next week, but also what could happen between November and January, and then also January onwards. I think we're in a pivotal time in our country and we all need to take action. And often what happens with people is that you know you need to do something, you don't know what it is. You know, it cripples you. You sort of like this overwhelming notion there's so much to do. And I hope what people will take away from the book is you can do something. You don't have to be a lawyer. You don't have to do much. Think about what is important to you Take one step, and that one step will be the next and the next and the next. You don't have to know the whole picture, just start somewhere. So what I've been saying is the book transcends professions and it transcends locations. You can be in America where we're facing uh, challenges, but you could be in a different country listening to Brandon's podcast and be wondering, what can I do? And, you know, hopefully you'll be inspired. That's wonderful. I, I think it's really important for us to take note that all those areas are connected. There's civil rights issues. Immigration is a civil rights issue. Pollution is a civil rights issue, right? Um, and, and with that being said, speaking of Trump and the administration, um, and we know November's coming. We're at this point of recording. We're less than a week out. Um, what damage do you think another term of a Trump administration would do um, in terms of the immigration policy in America and possibly abroad? Oh, my goodness. Um, If the last few years is anything to go by, I think we can expect a lot more harm uh, on immigration policies. And it was going to go backwards for sure. And I think it will absolutely affect the standing of America in the world. You know, if, if people think about the history of America, if you are not a Native American, you've come from somewhere. Your, your first generation, second generation, third generation, third generation perhaps. Um, or, you know, it could be several generations, but the point is your ancestors have come from somewhere. And one of the things I tell people is there is a, a documentary that inspired me called America, the Story of Us. It's on the History Channel. And when I was writing my first book, my first book is called The Startup Visa, And I was arguing for a visa for entrepreneurs to come to the U.S. and start businesses and create jobs. But that documentary inspired me because it showed the history of America with beautiful graphics. And as an immigration lawyer, when I was watching that, I was watching with the lens of who's the immigrant here? And if you think about the growth of America and you think about Jamestown, it was uh, the British settlers who came here and they had started with the, you know, at the agricultural industry. And that that started the flourishing of the economy. But there were always immigrant restrictions. One from generation to generation to generation, they've always tried to put limitations. But those limitations had changed over time. And the, the restrictions that have now come under the Trump administration is so constricted. You know, when people say that my ancestors came here legally, there were practically no laws at the time. You know, you get on a boat, you get to Ellis Island, you put your name down and you're here. Those those systems were very, very different. Um, But if you think about 
what's happened over the last four years, starting with the Muslim ban, the travel ban, this administration has been emboldened to have one ban after another after another because they saw that they can make it work. And we have never seen bans like this since the time of the Chinese Exclusion Act. And I don't know if your listeners know about it, but when the, the East Coast of America was being connected to the West Coast of America with the train tracks, we needed foreign labor in this country. So people from East Asia were coming here to lay those tracks down. But then when the, the railroad roads were here, then suddenly there was panic that too many Asians are here. And that's how the Chinese Exclusion Act happened. And that's when the laws started to be in place about quotas. But if you fast forward to 2016, we've seen one ban after another when we hadn't seen them since the 20s, you know. And so if you think about what could happen in 2021 onwards, it could be further restrictions of immigration under this administration. And that could include birthright citizenship. You know, the one our constitution says that anybody born in America is born an American citizen. But we know this administration has had its eye on this particular issue. And if they do get a second term, that could be one of the most important issues that they could touch on. And that could absolutely change the face of America. But what is so important and so necessary is comprehensive immigration reform. The laws that we have were set in the 1950s and 60s. But if you think about, if your listeners think about their own lives from the time they were children to now, how many folds has the world changed? You know, we went from cassette players to CDs to now it's all audio, you know, in the cloud. The world has changed technologically through globalization, yet our laws are still very old. They don't match what our lives need at the moment. And so we need comprehensive immigration reform. So if we have a second administration, we may get immigration reform, but not the way we would want to see it. Um, But if we have a different administration, my hope and prayers would be that we have a sensible immigration reform that actually meets the needs of this country Uh, And immigration absolutely needs to be part of the economic growth of this country. Every country uses immigration as an economic strategy because immigrants, every head is revenue that goes towards the tax bucket um, and the social security funds and job creation and all of these things that this country needs most in this pandemic-driven time, when millions of people are out of jobs, you know, there's food insecurity, housing insecurity. If we have innovative job creators who can create jobs, I think that's part of the economic recovery strategy, in my opinion. I think you, you said some some amazing things and, and, and kind of actually uh, went into some of the questions I had, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful about that. Um, I, I would like to to kind of point to on the worldly side or, or, or broad, how we see what happened in UK with um, leaving the European Union um, really based off of immigration. Um, and, and you could kind of say the strongman idea is, you know, being pushed out from America and this far right agenda. Um, with that being said, you know, if we do get a Biden administration, which um, 
many I, I'm I'm straightforward. They, they my my listeners know I, I hope for a Biden um administration. Um what do you see possibly uh some of the changes? I I mean we've we've all read, I, I hope we all read his plans. Um, but what, what do you think? What what's realistic? You know, that's a really good question. What's realistic? But, but you know, your if your listeners haven't tuned in to my accent, you know, Brexit is part of, you know, <laughs> my background, too. I, I was born and raised in London. So uh, Brexit came as a shock to me as well. Uh, although now, of course, I live here, so I'm not seeing the day to day impact. But as an immigration lawyer and somebody who is compassionate about humanity, I do believe there's a moral obligation to helping those who are vulnerable. Um, And so coming to Biden's policies, and to be honest, you know, I will show you, I have the Biden's policies right here. Um, I don't know if you can see it right here in front of me, because, you know, it's really important to me to be able to articulate what his plans include. And they do include far reaching plans to making immigration um, a part of the strategy for um, recovering the economy of this country. And so if you think about immigration in sort of three broad headings, there's family there's employment, and there's humanitarian um, categories. For family-based immigration, while, you know, I also hope for a Biden administration, Brandon, just like you, but if you think about what the Trump administration has done, and him particularly, he has, every single one of his spouses have come from different countries, and they have had immigration, and they, you know, it's as soon as uh, the first lady uh, got into the White House, her parents became citizens soon after. Now, that is called family-based immigration. But yes. what Trump dubbed it as is chain migration. He's, his family is the one that's using it the most. But he doesn't want chain migration. Chain migration was not a word, uh, a well-known part of the vernacular of the country until he made it so. And he made it so in a derogatory way, as if it's bad. But people will tell you that if you have your family members here in the U.S., you actually function much better. You know, the American values of family are actually enshrined in in the immigration laws because family values is what we care about as a nation. And, you know, we want our families to be here. So what Trump has tried to do is stop family immigration. He couldn't do it because Congress wasn't... um, allowing it, but then came COVID-19 and he used that as his excuse, as his his vehicle to stop immigrant visas from family members. So early on uh, when the coronavirus hit the country, he had a travel ban and that travel ban is up until December 2020 where immigrant visas will not be issued to parents and siblings and to some other categories. A Biden administration, on the other hand, values family family un- unity. And so they will make sure that the, the, the systems that we have for family immigration will be stronger. Um, when it comes to employment-based immigration, one of the things that you, you and your listeners might hear in the news over and over again is, Immigrants are taking our jobs, you know, you know, they're 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 taking our jobs and our wages are being depressed. That is not true. If you think about if your listeners just close their eyes for a moment and think about the COVID lifestyle that we have, 
The one place that we're absolutely allowed to go to is the grocery store. But if you go to the grocery store and you see the shiny apples and the beautiful tomatoes, who's picking them? It's the essential workers that are farm workers and often they are undocumented. And the government says they're taking our jobs away. If you ask any farmer, they will tell you they cannot get American workers to do those jobs. And so when it comes to employment base, there are several categories. There are the quote unquote low skilled jobs and there's nothing low skilled about it. Frankly, if you know these farm workers, they have backbreaking jobs, you know, farming and in the agricultural industry. We need a specific category for that. If Trump remains in office, we will find that these categories are going to be even more constricted. And that means the agricultural industry will suffer. And what does that really mean? It means that the consumers, us, who go to the grocery stores will not be able to afford that apple or that the milk. You know, I live in Washington state. We have one of the 10th largest, I believe, uh, agricultural industry. We have the eighth largest dairy industry. And, you know, all of these industries rely more than 50% on immigrant workers. Now, when we talk about high-skilled immigration, high-skilled immigration, now, right now, the Zoom that you and I are speaking on, it's founded by an immigrant who, incidentally, had his visa denied seven or eight times. If you think about the phone that you use, the net, the network that's being, you know, provided, a lot of the high-skilled immigrants are maintaining that. If you look at the um, hardware, it's it's a lot of immigrants are operating that. If you think about the software, the various apps, you know, a lot of people know WhatsApp. It's a it's a the app that is being used around the world particularly during this pandemic, the founder is is an immigrant to the U.S. A lot of the things that we use in the daily fabric of our lives um, are created by, you know, immigrant founders. If you think about Google, immigrant founders, you know, so many things of our lives that we use on a very daily basis where we just don't even think about it anymore. Think it's American. They're not. If we didn't have high-skilled immigrants, we wouldn't have these. So if we, but Trump administration, on the other hand, claims that immigrants are taking jobs away. And particularly during this time when we have high-skilled immigrants holding up our cloud-based economy, he has made drastic changes to H-1B regulations to the way wages are being um, assessed, and that is harming businesses. So if we have a Trump administration in office in the second term, we will see more of this. But if we have a Biden administration, we're going to see the employment-based immigration categories actually made better for the modern day world that we live in. And what does that mean? It means the economy will do better. Businesses will do better. You know, I live in Washington state and here we have the headquarters of Amazon. We have the headquarters of Microsoft and Adobe. Um, Costco is here. High skilled immigrants are, are part of our daily life here and we're not seeing that. And so it is very, very important for listeners to understand. Just think about your daily life. 
grocery store or not, just sitting at home for work for home? How are you operating your your work from home remotely? Um, so that's the employment side. If you think about refugees, and we talked about climate for a moment, the world is going through drastic changes. You know, you're in California. California has seen some of the worst wildfires in history. You know, I live in Washington State. While you are having your wildfires, we had them here. And for the first time, I mean, we've had bad air quality in the past, but it has not been as bad as it has been in 2020. So not only did we have a pandemic we had, and we had to stay in, the only thing you could go out is maybe the parks, but we couldn't go anymore because there was air quality that was going to, you know, pollute your lungs. But that's happening globally in different ways. If you think about um, Puerto Rico suffering from the cyclones and the Caribbean, different countries have different climate issues. There are climate refugees. America has been the beacon of hope in the world. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt, I talk about her so much. I wish I could go back in time and learn from her in person. She was somebody who created the United Nations um, Human Rights Convention. And part of that was that America takes in refugees. Under the Trump administration, we've taken the least number of refugees in history. My parents are from Bangladesh. You know, I truly feel like I'm doing the right job that I was meant to do because I have all these, you know, heritage, cultural connections. My parents are from Bangladesh. Bangladesh took Rohingya refugees, a country that cannot afford it, has the heart to take in people who are going to be killed in a different country. America's not doing that. And so under a Biden administration, we hope that our humanitarian um, uh, and human rights aspects come back our morality comes back. Uh, but in a, a Trump administration, we will likely see that to go uh, away even further. Um, if you think about our asylum laws, again, people come to the US because we are a beacon of hope. You know, uh, it's a nation of immigrants. And people come here because, you know, those who are vulnerable are fleeing for their lives. You're often they're being killed because of their political beliefs or, you know, because um, of their religion. And many, you know, there are five categories that are allowed in, in, in immigration. Um, if you think about the southern border, it's, it, we've never seen the inhumane treatment of human beings in this country. It's, you know, it would, it would be, a, it's a travesty. It's embarrassing to say that us Americans uh, are doing this to other human beings, you yeah. know. And so all of these things were the moral ground has been lost under this administration. And the biggest thing I can say, at least on the immigration front, is under a Trump administration, things can only get worse. There's no humanity. There's no mercy, but under a Biden administration, I hope the moral ground will come back and built upon. But it will be difficult to um, wind back time. He has yeah. done so much damage in the last four years through regulation changes, through policy changes, and all of these will be wound back, but it will take time. And one thing I will, I have to mention is the separation of children from their parents. That, you know, you know, if, if people, if your listeners, if Brandon, did you watch the debate last week? Of course. Yeah. 
And, you know, there was that immigration uh, portion in people it. In, but they have to come in legally, and they come in through But merit. how will you reunite these just tell kids you, with their families, let me just tell you, Mr. President? They built cages. You know, they used to say, I built the cages. And then they had a picture in a certain newspaper. And it was a picture of these horrible cages. And they said, look at these cages. President Trump built them. And then it was determined they were built in 2014. That was him. Do you they have a plan cages. to reunite the kids? Yes, we're working families? on it very, we're, we're trying very hard. But a lot of these kids come out without the parents. They come over through cartels and through coyotes and through gangs. Vice President Biden, let me bring you into this conversation. Quick response and then another question to you. These 500 plus kids came with parents. They separated them at the border to make it a disincentive to come to begin. And one of the things that Trump tried to do over and over again is deflect from where are the parents of the children. And he basically kept saying to, to Joe Biden, hey, Joe, who built the cages? And, you know, what's important, I want your listeners to understand that there was a huge difference in what happened. Yes, nothing was perfect even in, under Obama, but those children that Obama was dealing with were unaccompanied children, meaning that they had no parents with them or guardians with them, and they needed to be put in a safe facility. What Trump has done, he's torn away babies as small as four months old from their parents. And over 2,000, close to 3,000 children were pulled away from there. I'm a mother of two. And I would urge people to read my book because that is what really inspired my work over the last four years. Um, the, these children now can't be matched with their parents anymore. Five, almost 550 children. That is a travesty. It's a human rights violation. And I hope um, in the future people are going to be held accountable. Well, Tamir, you, you've... Honestly, you've said quite a bit and some amazing things, and and it overlaps with a lot of things I wanted to talk about. I'm once again grateful about that. You're on fire. You're just on fire, girl. Uh, so real quick, I just just you spoke about COVID and and um and some of the things that are occurring um is the rhetoric that we're hearing from our president. And my question to you is this rhetoric about the pandemic. What do you think could be the lasting effect in terms of immigration policy? Because we saw when he first came down um, the escalator and he escalated later. Yeah. And he said so many negative things. Speaking of uh, Mexican-Americans, but really these are people who are coming from the tri uh, Northern Triangle. Um, and, and that kind of led to his policy and the American first attitude um, that led to, you could say, a Brexit mentality as well. Right. So. My question is the, this rhetoric that he's speaking now, spewing now, what effect could it have last in a lasting effect in immigration policy now? Um, that's such a good question. And I'm going to I'm going to take it in two parts. What COVID shows us is that the world is connected. How can you have a tiny, tiny, you can't even see virus in Wuhan, China? affect the entire world with a pandemic. That is a demonstration of how people are connected globally. We are connected spiritually, we are connected physically, and, and it's important to understand what affects one part of the globe affects another part of the globe. And for that reason, the policies that we have affects the world too. And so the lasting effects that we will see, and we've already seen it, 
immigrants are sought after, particularly the high-skilled immigrants, are sought after around the world. They don't have to come to America. You know, remote work is showing you that you can work for Microsoft sitting in Timbuktu. You can work for Apple sitting somewhere else in the world. You don't have to be here. You could be earning the same amount of money or almost sitting on a beach somewhere where your life, you know, a standard of living is lower. So your money goes further. You don't have to live here. But people want to be here because this is people aspire to the American dream. But that American dream is demolishing. And I, I urge people to look at the my book. You know, it's interesting. I the journey I went through on this book, part of it was the the cover that I had to go through. And I love the cover of my book. It really speaks to what we are speaking to right this moment, the American dream. Is the dream demolishing or is the dream going to be rising up again? Look at the picture and you make that determination. Um, but America's not looked upon in the same way anymore. You know, if you think about what Canada's doing just across the border, Every time there's a policy change in America that is restricting immigration, they go the opposite, saying, hey, American, uh, immigrants in America, come to come to us because they realize the value that immigrants bring. Again, it's revenue, it's tax, it's job creation, it's cultural enrichment in, in a world of globalization. You know, if you you know, if you are a professional, um, you are you will feel better speaking to a, a professional who understands your background. There is so much value in having that cultural enrichment um, in your in your neighborhood, in your in your hospital, in your surgery, in your school, you name it. And if you think about the next generation, our children are learning that, you know, they don't know what a cassette player is or even a CD player. You know, they're using an iPad to go and play Animal Crossing where they're playing, you know, with kids around the globe. You know, our, our next generation is seeing the world in from a different lens where the world is a small place, where you can go to a different part of the world and be connected. But how can they be connected if you're not educating them and teaching the values of humanity? And so our immigration policies are absolutely having a far reaching effect already. If you think about the universities we have, international student numbers are significantly reduced. And that has a knock on effect on the schools that we have, as well as the economy. Students bring an enormous amount of contribution to the economy. They're using our grocery stores. Two to me, the point, the Brookings Institute does show the 5% of higher education enrollment will have a far decline costing $2.5 billion in revenue. They're using our grocery stores, our banks, our, our transportation, our rent. You know, they're, they're contributing to every aspect. If you think about the universities, professors, you know, international students pay a higher fee. And so schools are losing out on those funds. And that means the next generation of students are not going to be educated in the schools that we have here. Yet our schools are the places that people want to be at. They want to be at the University of Washington in, in, in Washington State. They want to be at Harvard in Boston. They want to be at um, Stanford in California. They want to be at all the universities, all the even the community colleges, because often those colleges are better than the education that they'll get back home. 
And we are preventing that growth and that enrich enrichment in our country. So there are far-reaching consequences and the foreign policies, you know, if you think about not just immigration, immigration is one aspect of what the world is looking at us. They're looking at Black Lives Matter, what happened here in, 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 in the summer. They're looking at the climate change policies and what's what how that affects them. They're looking at trade policies, you know, and so there are far-reaching consequences. And in a Trump administration, not just immigra immigration, but many other things will be constricted, restricted, and uh, America may not be the superpower that we have known it to be. And we want to make sure it remains that way. And so I hope your listeners and people who are listening, you know, because of me will vote Biden. <laughs> uh, I hope that's okay to say, because, you know, we, we absolutely need to have that. We need humanity. And humanity is where it all begins. I think... I think you said once again um, some really important things uh, for us to look back at um, in, in terms of all this. Uh, and I, I really get on the immigration side because my, my grandfather was an immigrant from Bahamas Islands, um, a UK colony. Um, so with that being said, um, you talked about the children's or children earlier, um, and that comes from the El Paso uh, pilot program that he was using in 2017, um, late, uh, early summer into early fall. Um, and 545 children ended up being ripped away from their, their parents. My question to you is what recourse would any of these children or possible parents who, who can't, there's been claims that they can't come back and get their children. What recourse do these people have? If any? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. I, I sort of want to wind back a little bit. So, uh, what, the the time frame is uh, you know late 2017 uh it was really april early 2018 that we were really hearing about the separation of parents and children and what the, the mechanics that the government was using was zero tolerance because if you are coming to the US without um documentation it's a misdemeanor and if you are able to have if the government were able to essentially make you a criminal it gave them the basis to take your child away from you and that was the genesis yeah. of separation of parents and when the separation of parents was happening you know they were in two different types of detention centers uh, and it was close to I think it's close to 3,000 um, that were separated it's only now that we're learning that 500 almost 50 are not reunited um what recourse will they have? I actually don't know the answer to that. Yeah. But what we do know is that these children are going to be traumatized for the rest of their lives. Those parents are going to be traumatized for the rest of their lives. And karma will come back and hit us somehow. I, don't, I, I really just don't know what the answer is. But what we do need to make sure happens after the election, depending on who's in office, so we need to hold the Trump administration accountable. And if they need financial um, repercussions, um, assistance with getting their lives in place, we have an obligation to make sure that happens. Um, these are children, these are somebody's babies, these are future generations. And again, going back to the example of COVID-19, a small virus affecting the 
all of the, the 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 globe shows that us humans are connected and these 545 children are connected to us too and that yeah. is going to have a ripple effect in the future so i wish i had an answer for you it breaks my heart i have personally had many many nightmares uh, again i would ask your readers to read my book um about it's a, the it's a compilation of what has happened over the last four years and in my life as an immigration lawyer, because as an immigration lawyer, not only am I dealing with the people right in front of me, my clients and my office, but I'm seeing the community and I did my very best and I continue to do my very best to help the community and the needs that they have. Um, And that led to having nightmares and that led to finding the solutions that I could envision and trying to bring legal help as necessary, where necessary. Yeah, I think it's definitely a nightmare. This is a human rights concern, um, definitely. Um, and it, it's, it's frightening. And I know it was a difficult question to, to even try to um, address. Um, and I think my listeners, we, we talked about in one of my immigration um, podcast episodes about the Northern Triangle and why these people are coming over. And just to think zero tolerance, knowing that they're, they could be hit um, with this and, and, and have their children taken away. Um, they still they're still coming with their families. Right. Um, could you kind of speak to a little bit to any insight that you may have on the reason why these people are still coming over, even knowing all that they're going to face the wilderness, the riding on top of a train, all these different things that they're facing, the the, um, the coyotes, the, the gang members, all these things. Why do you think they're still coming over? You know, um, It was just this past Sunday that John Oliver on HBO had an immigration segment. I couldn't say any better than what he said, so I would ask your listeners to watch that episode. But essentially, he had an immigrant who is a grandmother of a 12-year-old girl, and she fled um, Honduras because that 12-year-old... girl's life was in threat and Mm. because they her life was under threat grandmother and child basically came here uh, because the the gang members were going to try to kill grandmother and tattooed ufc fighters there are also people like berta who fled honduras after ms-13 gang members tried to force her 12 year old granddaughter into marriage berta refused they threatened to set her on fire So she and her granddaughter fled to the U.S. They were separated. Berta was detained. That's just an example of hundreds and hundreds of people who are basically victims of the gang culture. And it's not just that they want to sell drugs. It's about people's lives, you know, little girls being raped and family members being killed. Um, I mean, it's almost difficult to even fathom. And these people are truly fleeing for their lives. If they, you know, nobody would put their lives at risk to cross from one country to another if it really didn't mean life or death. And so what we are doing to these people who are so vulnerable, the most vulnerable of the vulnerable, it's truly heartbreaking to, to listen to, to watch, to see. Um, and then the asylum laws that used to actually help these people have been constricted in such ways that 
even if you're dying and you're you've got a you know a, a target on your forehead you're not going to be able to get asylum and that is truly heartbreaking and so I, my my sincere hope is that when the biden administration comes into office and i hope that's the case um that these things are addressed immediately uh, and there will be competing priorities almost everything is important which fire do you put out first and so you know there might have to be some strategies but this is one of the most important urgent things that the government would need to address and right now people applying for asylum can't even come into the country they have to wait in mexico called you know the my the migrant uh, protection program and again the john oliver episode is just so spot on about describing the scenario so twina with that being said uh, with these protections that are needed one of the protections that we had through obama um was the daca program and we we know the supreme court kind of put Trump on hold from trying to uh, get rid of it completely. Um, and I had many students that that needed this program. Um, where where are we at today with DACA? I'm so glad you asked that question, Brandon. It truly is a very important aspect of immigration reform. Um, and, and just so your listeners know it, and I know that I've told them, in 2012, President Obama essentially created the Deferred Action for Childhood arrival program because comprehensive immigration reform failed. Uh, The Senate passed immigration reform, but the House did not. And then he had no choice but to give protection. Now, this is not a status. It's not citizenship. It's simply permission to be here so that they can get a work permit and not be deported. And so people often don't understand that this is not a visa. This is not citizenship. It is simply um, a string with which they are hanging. And the Trump administration cut that string in 2017, September. And then there was litigation, 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 which ended up all the way at the Supreme Court. And during this time, the Trump administration only allowed renewals. So even if people who hadn't got DACA initially, they they were not allowed to file anymore. The Supreme Court essentially restored the program saying, look, you didn't go through the process and therefore you need to restore the DACA program. But the Trump administration has not restored it fully. They are allowing renewals, but people who are allowed to file DACA for the first time are still not being permitted to do it. What we see from that is an administration that is defiant against the highest court in the land, and that should trouble us all. Because if they can do that with DACA, they can do that with anything. And so it is absolutely troubling about that. So where do we stand with that? It is still alive. However, if there is a Trump administration, you can guarantee that's going to be the first thing to go away. And what is interesting about the Supreme Court decision is they did say, yes, you did not follow the rules and therefore we're going to keep DACA. But they also gave a very nice roadmap to the White House saying this is what you need to do to take it away. And so it's a matter of time before we see that go away. So under a Trump administration, it's absolutely going to go away. And we may even see it between November and January, even if there's an elected, uh, a contested election. 
But under a Biden administration, what we hope to see is comprehensive immigration reform that will have a pathway for the 11 million undocumented immigrants that are in the U.S., including the DACA recipients and the DACA population, because these people are absolutely making a contribution. And what is interesting people don't realize is our social security funds that we have in this country, part of what is being used for the stimulus checks and all sorts of other things, it's, it's actually kept alive because a large portion of the funds come from undocumented folks who are earning money and putting money in it. And they will never have access to it. If we take away those undocumented taxpayers, we will actually have a huge deficit in all of the revenue that is being generated. So we will have two very different approaches to these populations in this country, depending on who is in office. And I do worry about the November to January timeframe, because if there is a contested election, or even if there isn't, Trump is in office until January. There's so much he can do within that time. Yeah, I think I think sometimes we forget that we think after election is just an automatic, you know, switch. He has a few months to do some things. He's already done some damage. You, you talked about him um, defying the court. Now he added three justices to the court and packed the federal benches. So, I mean, I don't think people realize that he is leaving a legacy um, that will, that's going to last. I mean, the last justice was 48 years old. Um, definitely not qualified. Um, tr- never even tried a case. And she, she can be on, on, on the bench for 35 years. Um, so that, that, that's I agree. scary. I agree. It, it is scary. And people, you know, people are not necessarily, well, not everybody understands the ramifications like you do, but it's not just immigration that's on the line. You know, it is, you know, women's reproductive rights. It's same-sex marriage rights. You know, there are just so many fundamental rights. You know, what we saw in the last four years, years is that the Supreme Court without this new addition, basically said that, hey, you employers, you don't have to give contraceptives uh, to your employees. Women's reproductive rights have already been uh, affected. You know, there's so many things for the unions, for workers, people in the labor force. It's not good for it's not good for the little people. The little people meaning the everyday American. And I, I, I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. I mean that when you have a, an administration that is catering to the rich all the time. The, the, the one thing that he did immediately was change the tax code, saying it's going to be trickling down. What has trickled down? Nothing has trickled down. These rich people have made more and more. And, you know, these companies that have saved money has not, have not given pay rate rises to their employees, you know. And so we will see more and more of that with every single one of our rights affected. And, you know, if you think about what happened to Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, you know, this administration has completely um, encouraged police uh, and militia. And so it is going to be very a, a very challenging time. I do think November to January is something where we all have to be very cautious about, uh, but even, even beyond, depending on who's in the White House. Um, and, and with that being said, I, I want to finish up with, with, with one last question. And just just speaking speaking to Trump um, and just honestly, his lack of knowledge of the Constitution. Um, I remember when he was running, he, he was talking about anchor babies and using the 14th Amendment, not understanding what the 14th Amendment really is. Um, 
it, it, it's scary to say the least, but I mean, we look at, you know, when you talked about like economics, you know, in, in essence, the trickle down effect, I mean, it did not work. Bush senior raised taxes because of it. Um, but one idea that comes back to mind with, with Reagan is amnesty. So we see how the, the, the Republicans have, you know, really changed over time um, to a very far right ideology, um, you know, evangelical mindset. Um, what would you say to amnesty? Is amnesty the way? in terms of today's problems. This is many more undocumented people today than there was, of course, in the USA in, in, in the early to mid-80s. But what would you say? Is amnesty the answer? What we do need is a path to citizenship for these people. But, you know, obviously, we need to have a balanced immigration system. And that's the system that needs to be reformed in a sensible manner. What happened under the Clinton administration is a new law had come into play. And that said that if you are in the U.S. between six months and 12 months without status and you leave the country, you cannot come back for three years. If you're in the U.S. for 12 months or more, you cannot come back for 10 years. And what that did immediately is put chains on people's feet because a lot of them have mixed families. And if they leave the country, there's no guarantee they'll come back. So one of the things in immigration reform is that that particular law needs to be reversed. Because when when um, Trump and others say, come back the legal way, you're not creating that pathway for them. And so sensible, comprehensive immigration reform needs to be in place so that this doesn't happen again. And there are checks and balances. So yes, there needs to be a path for citizenship for people already here, but there also needs to be new systems in place, particularly removing those bars so that this particular issue doesn't happen again. And there are systems for people coming here legally. So I think what is very interesting, I just finished listening to a book, um, the, I forget the name, I'll make sure that you, you get the link for it. Um, it's a New York Times reporter wrote a book about the history of how immigration reform happened in the 50s and 60s. And what I learned from that, because, you know, I'm an immigrant too, you know, my, I, I moved from the United Kingdom here, and I've had to learn politics, I've had to learn history, immigration, and this book was very educational. The sentiments of that we see today are not new. They've been here for generations. And, you know, we've not had immigration reform for decades and in between. And it is time that we have it. And I think it's important that people and I, you know, I would uh, invite your listeners to listen to my podcast, Tamina Talks Immigration. I have a series, you know, that is the genesis of my book, Legal Heroes in the Trump Era. And one of the interviewees, she is the executive director of ACLU in Washington State. She says, you've got to learn history so that you understand the context in which you can help. You can't just dive in and say Black Lives Matter. Well, how did this all happen? The genesis of police and so many more things. So I would urge your listeners to A, listen to my podcast, um, Legal Heroes in the Trump Era is the series. Please buy my book. But also, if immigration is something of interest to you, we write about it all the time, the issues that affect our clients. And we have a blog on watsonimmigrationlaw.com. And you will be able to see news updates that apply in these various categories. You know, it's it's really important to go back and look at your own ancestry, I think, 
because you will feel invested. You will hopefully change your mind and understand if your grandparents didn't flee whichever persecution that they were facing, you would not have the life that you're having today. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, And for my listeners, don't forget, I have an anti-immigration episode that will kind of be an opener to some of that history that she speaks of. But we really appreciate you coming. Um, it's wonderful seeing a, a woman of color um, in, in positions to to help people, um, very informed and, and, and making sure you're giving back to the community and informing the community. So we thank you. We appreciate you. Any last words or where can they find you? I know you gave the website. Do you have any um, social media handles that you uh, like to speak on right now? Well, Brandon, thank you again for having me and for the opportunity to speak to your listeners. Um, I can be found on Twitter, Tamina Watson. I'm on Instagram, Tamina Watson. Uh, My blog and website is www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com. My primary practice is business immigration. So I help businesses um, either start businesses or hire, you know, talent. Uh, And I also help people with family-based immigration and citizenship. Um, But I do an awful lot in the community and that's what's documented in the book it's uh, the book can be found on amazon barnes and nobles um and a- any other platform that people are reading and buying their books so thank you again for the opportunity i really appreciate being here welcome to another be inspired moment and i want to use a quote from malcolm x he says this there is no better than adversity every defeat every heartbreak every loss contains its own seed, its own lesson on how to improve your performance the next time. We have to understand that success doesn't happen overnight. Success isn't easy. And one thing about failure, it teaches you how to become something better and something new. And he uses the word seed for a reason, because every failure, you're planning something. You're trying to grow something better. And Anytime you're looking to succeed, there's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be something in your way because you're going in the right direction. There should be some adversity. There should be some hard times because anything easy is really worthwhile. And the answer is, of course not. So expect hard times. Expect difficult things to occur because you're going after success. And if you want to build towards success, Recognize you're building towards some hard times as well. Thank you. In my final words, I want to quote the Statue of Liberty. It literally says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. These people who are coming to America are seeking asylum, seeking freedom, seeking safety. So with that being said, I hope that we all can find some type of way to support and help and be a part of the change that America so desperately needs. Um, The next four years, I hopefully will be um, more unifying, more inclusive. The change that we need in America won't happen overnight, but I truly believe it will. It's going to take all of us to do it. So with that being said, remember, there's no bad days. The only bad moments. And you, you have the power to decide. So decide to have a good day. Don't let external moments change the rest of your day. Have a good one.
you came a long way. That's what the song say. And I could do all things. I could do all things. Yeah, I could do all things. Yeah, yeah.